Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast, and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that out of the way, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our wonderful sponsor, eToro. The best way to be smart about trading crypto is to use the smartest trading platform. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with extraordinarily low fees. And if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice on the platform with their virtual trading feature. Best of all, you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders around the world to discuss trading, charts, and all things crypto. You can create an account at b.tc slash eToro reaction or click the link below in your show notes. Just scroll down on your phone, click the eToro link, and it'll bring you right to their website. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm thrilled to have on Diogo Monica, who is the co-founder and president at Anchorage. Diogo, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I know you've given it a million times, but uh, what is your background? Absolutely. So I started my career um, by doing academic work. So I did a bachelor's and master's and in, in a PhD in a topic that wasn't very useful, candidly, 14, uh, 14 years ago or so, which was distributed systems and security, but somehow has found relevance in this world of blockchain. Uh, in fact, I was publishing academic papers in Byzantine Fault Tolerance and um, Hashcash as a computational resource test, which is what I called them uh, back then. And, um, you know, just uh, overall distributed systems topics and security. And then um, I started uh, my career really at a, at a company called Square. So I was very early at Square. Uh, around employee 45th or 47th. And uh, there was only really one person on the security team at that point. And so they um, they had me, invited me to join, and I, I flew all the way from Lisbon, Portugal, to San Francisco to to start on this uh, Series A company. And so that was uh, that was actually where I met my co-founder, Nathan McCauley, and in a way where Anchorage's story actually starts. It starts by us meeting and starting on this first project, which is um, which was a fascinating project, which is the, the encrypted credit card reader. So as you know, Square gave out free credit card readers um, 10 years ago or nine years ago, and uh, those had no encryption. And so our first project was to do the design, the manufacturing, the distribution uh, of secure readers that had encryption that was end-to-end. So that's how I met Nathan. And over the next four years, we effectively co-led the security team and uh, built really well what it is today. And uh, now our code, in a way, moves over $80 billion a year at this point. It's hard to keep track uh, the GPV growth at, at, at Square. But that's those four years were, were absolutely fascinating. And then after that, we went together and uh, went as a bundle uh, um, to start the security team at a company called Docker. We had a lot of opinions about security. And so we decided that putting all of our opinions into a growing company like Docker was the, was the right move. And in fact, if you, if you look at uh, the three years that we were there, we built so many cool things into the Docker ecosystem itself that now run on over half the cloud providers. 
And so our code is massive distribution and the security. Uh, at one point or another today, if you use the internet and if you went to some website, uh, it's very likely that there's a Docker container somewhere on the back end in some of our code that, that is in there. So that was really cool. And then finally, That's incredible. yeah, you, it actually gets to the story of Anchorage because Anchorage uh, starts because of all the keynotes and all of the talks that we're, we're giving out uh, around topic of key management and adding key management and key distribution to, to Docker and the work on key management that we did at Square. And so a lot of these funds start reaching out to us and asking us for help with, um, with custody, key generation. And that's actually when, when Anchorage gets started as an idea is uh, I didn't have enough time I didn't have enough hours in my day to deal with all of the inbound of uh, consulting work. And so that's when we decided to create Anchorage and uh, onboard institutions into, into safe custody. That's incredible. So, I mean, you're one of the few that are approaching the space with a traditional, you know, entire work life based around security. I feel like that's pretty unique, right? That's right. I, I actually feel like a lot of the problems that the space has right now, and specifically, obviously, on the topic of custody, is because these first instincts of the people that came into the space early on were the instincts of um, really good engineers, but people that didn't really had didn't really have security at scale experience. And so people that weren't used to doing key management at large scale, uh, which we did for chip and pin, which we did for, you know, reader manufacturing and hardware manufacturing in China, which is a very adversarial environment. So all of those things were things that we brought to Anchorage. And that's why we have such a unique viewpoint on how how, how it should evolve. Because if you look at the current status quo of cold storage, it just it just really doesn't make any sense for institutions. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And crypto custody was a huge like talking point several years ago. It still is today. It actually was, I think, the first Medium article I wrote on the space. It's kind of funny. I'm just thinking about it. But you guys are obviously approaching it from like a very advanced viewpoint. And I definitely want to get into the differences. But for those who may not be aware, what is a custodian and how does a crypto custodian differ from a traditional custodian? Anchorage is an institutional custodian. So Anchorage deals um, exclusively with uh, institutions. And what we do for them is we take care of the life cycle of investments on a crypto asset like Bitcoin, Ethereum. And we effectively cover all of the crypto assets in the long tail. And we try to, we believe that the custodian should not dictate the investment strategy for the clients. So what we do is from moment one, you want to take an investment or a position in a crypto asset and we'll help you with everything, including the more mechanical aspects of custody, which are the key generation, the safekeeping of keys, the business continuity, the quorum access, such that there's no single individual that ever has access to funds. That's a lot of what we do for institutions. It's a white glove end-to-end service. You want to invest in crypto assets. We are regulated, qualified custodian that is insured that is here for you. That's awesome. And for those who also don't know, what exactly does a qualified custodian mean? Because I'm assuming that's a pretty big differentiator for you guys. A qualified custodian is a designation that um, it defines effectively a type of entity. What happened was that um, after Madoff um, happened, the, the industry decided that there would be a better way of doing custody, which is to have a third-party custodian that can actually report to the clients of a fund what they have uh, under under holdings for that specific fund. Effectively, you'd have the, the, the fund that you invest as an LP telling you what their holdings are, but you also have an independent verification from a custodian. That's a lot of the, the primary primary uh, use case for, for a custodian. But there's these types of funds called registered investor advisors that have to register with 
the SEC that uh, by law have to use third-party qualified custody. So they have to use an entity that is designated as a qualified custodian. So Anchorage is a qualified custodian uh, through our uh, trust trust company in South Dakota. We have a trust company charter in South Dakota. So we can fit that designation and any registered investor advisors come with us. But what we also find is that obviously people that don't have that requirement still want to come with a qualified custodian, still want to come with an institution that has insurance, that has all of these bells and whistles and all the, the, the check boxes checked. That's awesome. And, you know, I think it's huge because you guys are safeguarding people's assets at the end of the day. So you need to focus on security. You obviously have to comply with the regulations. But I think kind of a narrative over the last couple of years was that crypto custody was missing in the space. And it was kind of this key that would drive you know massive inflows. And State Street was talking about it, and JP Morgan, and Bank of New York Mellon, and Northern Trust, and ICE, and all these others. Do you think we're at a point now where crypto custody is solved for you know, the wider global financial market? And do you think it really just comes down to growth, the industry or education? Or do you think that, you know, there still is a lot of work to do to solve custody for those, you know, major clients? So from a technical perspective, I would say that we, we have really good solutions uh, for, for custody. We have solutions that allow clients to actively participate, have fast access to funds, and have safety that is, in the case of Anchorage, safer than cold storage. So I would say that the custody elements are solved from a technical perspective. From a regulatory perspective, there's still clarity that the space still requires. And so some of that might might be one of the things that is holding back. There's obviously liquidity components, but from a custody perspective, technology perspective, for things like in assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, those are things that are very well known, very well charted. But for example, I guess a good example is, um, as you know, Telegram is about to, to launch um, at the end of October, and it is uh, probably one of the projects that has raised the most money, right? They raised $1.7 billion dollars and it's coming out to market with a very differentiated uh, blockchain and a blockchain that is very hard to support and so for investments like that we're now seeing finally custodians and qualified custodians like Anchorage supporting those assets in day one and having institutions be able to invest and having VC firms and other institutions be able to get into the asset and not have to deal with the outcome of just being dropped some cryptocurrencies and some private keys on their lap when the network launches, which was not the case until now. And so it's great to see folks like Anchorage and qualified custodians insured folks to actually solve these problems from day one, which will obviously only make it better and only make the industry have more trust that their next investment will also follow the same path of having an institution to help you with this instead of having to take self-custody of your assets. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely agree. Telegram's huge. I think people are to your point, kind of missing just how large they are with their user base and the amount of money they raise. But your point kind of speaks to the industry maturing, right? Because usually we'd have to wait you know, months or years for custodians to support different assets. You guys are supporting Telegram from the day it launches, right? That's exactly right. And so that really makes a massive difference for institutions. It's really the difference between investing in the asset class or not investing in the asset class. This, this feeling that you have a partner that takes care of a lot of these issues for you and has the technical know-how and sophistication to, to take care of it. And so that's been, that's, that's been fantastic. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, are funds coming to you and saying, you know, Diego, we need Telegram supported or things like that? Or is it kind of just under your guys's purview on which assets you support? I mean, I guess the goal is to support as many as you can under, you know, your strict security assumptions. But I guess I'm just wondering how you guys go about deciding what you can or can't support in the crypto sphere. 
So two things. One of it is definitely client demand. And for Telegram itself, we've, de- we've definitely had client demand that is through the roof. And specifically, it's a very complicated asset. It has elements like staking. And so it's, a, it's an asset that requires a technical sophistication and for which this uh, narrative of uh, just putting in a box somewhere and under a mountain does, does really work well for, for our clients. And so that is based on demand, how we prioritize those assets. And then the second component is we have a very robust framework. That is covers aspects like compliance, covers aspects like legal, covers the technical implementation, uh, covers audits that we do, and covers some business development aspects uh, too. And so it's based on these two things. Client demand helps prioritize it, and then they also have to go through the compliance checklist and the compliance framework before they're allowed to be custodied by Anchorage. Gotcha. And I mean, to your point, the space is growing and getting more complex. Like normally people would want Bitcoin in a bunker, but now you have to deal with things like staking and validation and things like that. And I kind of want to cue in the the competitive factors here for you guys. I mean, is that a big differentiator for Anchorage, your ability to allow staking and validation and things like that through your custody service? Absolutely. And in fact, this is more than that. It's really active participation. It's not just about the, the generation of inflation or claiming of inflation, of validation, of, um, of staking in assets like Stellar, assets like Tezos, assets like Cosmos, and assets like Telegram. It is, it is also governance. It's governance in Maker. Right. So as a custodian, you must allow your clients to meet their fiduciary obligations by actually voting on these protocols that are dependent on their investors to really change things like the the um, uh, the actual numbers that help the stability of the asset. You know, so these kinds of these kinds of voting um, have to be supported because clients and our clients want to meet their fiduciary obligations. So they constantly ask us for that. So I would put it in a category of active participation that is even, even bigger than just staking or just validation. And one of the things that we've built that has been very unique is day one, when we were creating the company, we looked around and uh, what we saw was pretty interesting. What we saw is the status quo of custody was essentially what I like to describe as pirate custody. It is the exact same technology that, if you think about it, the pirates used in the 1700s to store their gold coins. They had gold coins inside of treasure chests, they buried them in islands, and then they had these treasure maps to know how to find their treasure chests again. But these days, somehow, we've created the most digitally sophisticated assets and we are treating them exactly the same way. But instead of gold coins, you have either a smart card or you have some kind of device or a USB key. Instead of a treasure chest, you might have a safety deposit box. Instead of an island, you might have a mountain in Switzerland. And instead of a map, you effectively have a checklist. So you have a human-based operation that follows every single item on the checklist, and you're dependent on humans for correct uh, transfers and depending on humans doing the right thing for every single access to your funds, which, as you, as you imagine, is, is terrible, right? If you think about another, an, another type of job in the United States that depends on checklists, you can think about it as surgeons, and you now think about how many deaths uh, on the hundreds of thousands of deaths that happen in the United States alone based on surgical mistakes because someone skips an item on a checklist. So this is how the status quo was before Anchorage came around and how people are actually dealing with crypto assets. And that obviously not, not, doesn't work for our clients and doesn't work for institutions. 
you don't have fast access to your funds, which you can do safely, and you definitely don't have the ability to actively participate, be part of staking. And when you do, you have to effectively do this kind of contortionism to try to to try to map your cold storage solutions to these new uh, to these new assets. That's a great metaphor, Diego. I, I really resonate with that. I mean, when you're thinking about that through, and, and when you guys are creating Anchorage, though, I mean, I guess, how did you handle the trade-offs? Because, I mean, you want this to be a people-to-people business, but you also want some rules in place based on code to protect people's assets. But, you know, the more code you use, the more, you know, maybe hacking is there, but the more people you use, the more people you have to trust. I mean, how do you strike the right balance between using you know computer software and using people to really drive your security at anchorage that's exactly the point if you think about it think about this hot cold narrative how can we measure security in fahrenheit and it's very clear that temperature is not the right measure for security and even time of access if you think about time time is a lazy proxy metric for security if you have two different processes one takes 24 hours the other one takes 48 hours and I don't tell you anything else about these processes, and I ask you which one is safer, the reality is that you can't answer. So what we're looking for is we're looking for a system that brings the best of cold storage but removes the worst, right? The best of cold storage is that no assets are ever directly connected to the Internet. And so Anchorage brings air gapping. No assets are directly connected to the Internet. We take the best of cold storage, but we remove the worst. There is no humans. There is no human failure. There is no human running around to a safety deposit box actually taking a USB key from the safety deposit box. What we've done is we obviously replaced them with something better. You know what's better than a human at following the same thing, the same checklist over and over again without making mistakes? Computers, robots. And so we've created the same systems, and we have even more checks than what humans do in the normal cold storage process, but we have them automated in a way that we can test, in a way that we can validate, and in the way that we ensure that happens every single time the same way, and no steps are skipped. That's that's awesome and encouraging for the space, especially people. I'm sure you've dealt with clients that have their you know funds in a safety deposit box somewhere. That, that's exactly right. In fact, we had clients that went above and beyond, and we had clients with small Faraday tents that they set up on their office or a randomly chosen hotel room, and they every every single one of the managing directors has to go into this tent and take the laptop to put in their shard of their Shamir secret shared private key to actually do any kind of transaction. I've heard from some clients that their their manual process before they migrated to Anchorage used to take them three days three days of active work uh, to actually move a transaction. And obviously with Anchorage, they got all the way down to hours, if not minutes. Wow. How many funds in the space on a percent basis do you think are doing these crazy, you know, hotel Faraday tent type security measures versus how many do you think are on legitimate providers like you guys or one of your competitors? Like, is it a high percent now or a low percent? It's definitely been increasing very significantly over this past year. So now I would say that we have a higher percentage of um, institutions that are using third-party custodians and institutions that are doing self-custody. But it is still very common for institutions to do self-custody. If I had to guess, it would be anywhere from 30 to 40% of institutions that are doing self-custody, especially folks that have requirements of access. If you want to do fast trading, you can't rely on one of these cold storage custodians that takes 48 hours to access your funds. So that's one of the reasons why people want to come with Anchorage is because they have better safety than cold storage, but they still have access. And so they don't have this trade-off, this effectively false trade-off, and they can access their funds, actively participate, and still be from better safety than cold storage. 
Hey everyone, we'll continue this conversation shortly, but first, a quick word from our amazing sponsors. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets but don't know where to start building your portfolio? We have the answer for you. It's called Copy Trader by eToro. With Copy Trader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy to use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at b.tc slash eToro reaction, linked in the show notes below. I also want to tell you guys about Celsius Network. They're doing a really cool thing trying to revolutionize the way we think about financial services. Basically, they're offering their users up to 10% annual interest on their crypto deposits, and there's no secret to how they're doing it. That 10% comes from them sharing 80% of their profits, rather than the minimal percent normal bank share. Celsius is giving users $10 in Bitcoin when they make a deposit of 200 or more in crypto or stablecoins when they use the promo code chain. Celsius is linked in the show notes below. Check them out. Yeah, that's that's incredible. It definitely speaks to your competitive advantages here. And this might be a, a shameless plug to you guys or, or maybe a lob, but you know, I saw the news in the summer that Coinbase bought Zappo, which stores like five percent of all bitcoins, and they only paid fifty-five million. Meanwhile, you guys were able to raise forty million, which is pretty close, you know, for earlier in your cycle. I'm guessing that, you know, during your process, your story of security and advanced capabilities like staking and incentives. Was that really the driver for the business when you were attracting capital? I guess I'm just just wondering on the differentiator there. Yeah, it's very much the unique technology that we have. We have the ability of accessing private keys with better safety than cold storage, but with safe access, active participation. And so that's what uh, folks like Blockchain Capital, which led our round, or Visa, which was one of our strategic investors, really saw in the technology. I mean, think about a company like Visa that is the largest, if not one of the largest credit cards in the network, they're incredibly competent at infrastructure. They run very highly available infrastructure. And yet they decide to come and invest with a crypto asset custodian because of obviously they see the value in the technology and they see a technology that is very unlikely that other folks can replicate with this level of, of, of security and this level of accessibility. No, that's huge. And if we're thinking you know, five or 10 years down the road here, when we're thinking competition, a lot of people in large industries expect prices to, you know, compete down to zero, right? But, you know, we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about, you know, how you guys differentiate, which I agree with is powerful. But I guess, how do you fight that idea that, you know, maybe custody prices just compete to to zero, or maybe Coinbase or Binance just roll these, you know, abilities out? Like, I guess, what are your thoughts when, when the space grows and when you guys grow? A lot of the focus of Anchorage from day one was about generating return for our clients, was about not having the clients send a check to Anchorage for custody, but really having effectively Anchorage send a check to the client. And that is because we would allow them to claim inflation. We would allow them to claim airdrops. We would allow them to have uh, a fully integrated solution that generates meaningful yield or revenue for their business, or at least allow them to do so and invest in these networks in a way that is not uh, reducing value as time goes on. Uh, let, Let me give you a specific example. We, a few weeks ago, were the only qualified custodian that allowed all of their clients and publicly announced support for Edgeware signaling. 
So Edgeware was a cryptocurrency that decided that they wanted to do an airdrop to bootstrap their institutional ownership or their ownership of, uh, of assets. And the effective way that they did the airdrop was they went to the Ethereum blockchain and they effectively said anyone that can signal with the keys of Ethereum will effectively get an equivalent or a pro rata amount of Edgeware dropped to them or given to them. And so our clients from the safety of the custodian were able to signal for their Ethereum and effectively claim Edgeware. So think about that for funds. That is that is real alpha. That is those assets that you're you're now getting that might have some value in the future, might not, but it's effectively an investment that you're doing and receiving something from the safety of your custodian that other custodians would have a very hard time doing or if they would be able to do it at all. So over 20% of our clients participated in the Edgeware signaling and they couldn't if they hadn't used Anchorage. And in fact, we saw a lot of clients moving Ethereum in so that it would be able to signal it from the, all of their Ethereum instead of just one portion of some portions of their Ethereum. Wow. Yeah, no, we, we had uh, Edgeware on actually. It's one of the episodes earlier. But just nailing down your point here, I, I think it's worth to talk about, you know, we're not talking about staking $500 worth of Tezos or, you know, signaling Edgeware with, with small amounts. We're talking about funds and major VCs with tens or hundreds of millions of dollars that need to do these active network participation items in a secure way, right? I mean, it, do you get that narrative a lot where you kind of have to differentiate between retail and funds here? Because I don't think people realize that major funds are the ones that have to do all these things. Absolutely. And they're the ones that actually have the most impact, especially if you think about governance decisions on something like Maker, right? And so we we only focus on institutions. So the retail versus institutional narrative is not something that we focus too much because effectively we spend our day talking to just institutions. But you're absolutely right that we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of assets that potentially have inflation all the way to 20%. That's that's real. That's real money. That is real value that is being lost or hundreds of millions of potential outcome of a governance decision that really has the power to sway decisions on a network one way or another. So those things are very important. Absolutely. That's awesome. And, you know, just looking ahead, I mean, I saw that you guys are pretty involved with the Libra Association. What exactly is your involvement there? And I guess, is there anything you've learned during the process? Because it's obviously a very, very hot topic in the space right now. Very hot topic, absolutely. Uh, we, we've been involved in the Libra Association since since basically the beginning. There was no name. It wasn't Libra. Uh, from the Facebook side, there was only effectively an idea and a couple of people working on it. And part of the reason why we were involved so early is because of our knowledge in distributed systems and cryptography and security and really helping think through the early concepts of the network and also the early concepts of the association, how we wanted this to be an association of peer companies that make decisions that instead of being controlled by one one entity. And so we, we've been involved since the beginning. It's been a fascinating project or a fascinating process also to, to, to watch. And the idea for us of launching it early was release workable code, open source code, so the community could see it and also effectively say, hey, this is the intent, this is what we're going to do, and let's engage the regulators, let's engage the world at large and see what the feedback is and how we can actually make this better. And so that's that's what you saw. You saw an early uh, claim of this is the intent and this is open source code, and now let's actually come together and decide what's the best way to go forward with this. And then you also saw, obviously, the feedback. Uh, and internally, what I can say is that 
the technology is ahead of schedule and there's been a lot of progress there and there's also been a lot of progress on also the regulatory issues and a lot of involvement there too and we'll see if we'll be able to still meet the timelines but i'm, um, I'm very optimistic that the project is going in uh, in the right direction and that the people involved now are very committed to seeing something that is fantastic and really allows us to meet this goal of creating a, a global digital asset for the internet yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was very impressed with all the white papers and material they put out. We, we covered them in a report a couple of weeks ago. But I guess the question is, I mean, it really, to your point, really does come down to kind of the regulation and, and the power of the community here. And PayPal dropped out, which is obviously kind of an issue. I, I, to be honest, I don't even know why they were involved. It's kind of competitive to them. But what are your thoughts on, like, end goal? I know you said you believe it will launch, but do you think that there's do you think the regulatory hurdles are bigger or do you think that attracting the other 72 founding members or, or whatever is really kind of the issue here? No, absolutely not on the, on the latter. If you, if you think about it, and I think uh, Lieber talked about this and tweeted about this recently, I think there's a, a list of 1,500 organizations that have proposed themselves to be on the Lieber Association. And so there's no lack of a oh, wow. uh, uh, number of people trying to be part of this. And we're talking about incredibly large organizations. We're not talking about small organizations. We're some very large organizations that seem to be confident that this is the right path and want to be involved day one. So there, there's not going to be an issue there in terms of filling out the slots. I think the issues is the issues are let's let's do this the right way. Let's do uh, let's make sure all of these issues from a regulatory perspective and from a technology perspective are answered, and let's release the right thing. That's always been the goal since they one. And so that's, that's exactly the path of the, of the Libra Association. That's awesome. And Diego, just switching gears, just to close out two last questions for you. You know, a lot of the ethos of crypto is obviously, you know, your keys, your money, you know, the whole nine yards there, right? And having centralized custodians kind of, you know, throws a wrench in that. But, you know, I'm kind of on your side of the fence here, where I think that we need real enterprises to grow out the space and, you know, massive funds aren't going to enter if they have to hold their own keys, right? What is your take on kind of balancing the ethos of the space, but while also being a custodian? Like, do you ever run into any issues there with any crypto funds or any, you know, narrative shifts? I think that the, the goals are actually not opposing goals. If you think about it, it, the idea is that you can take ownership. And the idea is that you'll always be able to do self-custody. And the idea is that individuals, primarily individuals, can have this your keys, your Bitcoin, be your own bank. And so the permissionless aspect of this and the fact that anybody can participate in the network, generate a public-private key pair, and own funds, that's something that we have to make sure that still exists. And that exists for all cryptocurrencies because that's one of the fundamental innovations. But now, I don't think that's against the fact that organizations have very different requirements than individuals. And in fact, organizations... Uh, throughout the history of organizations have always specialized themselves in one area. And you cannot expect a fund to be able to build technology like Anchorage. You cannot expect a fund to have the same background, the ability to build this technology, uh, background in distributed systems, information security, and cryptography. That's just not possible. So the space always specializes. And I don't think it's against the ethos, the fact that there's going to be companies that are going to be doing this service for organizations, as long as the security model of the companies is conducive to be this case, and as long as these institutions are not pushing for closed networks, networks where people can't take ownership over their own private keys, or some kind of system 
that is closed in terms of participation. And if you want to move from a custodian to another one, something holds you back, which is not the case at all, right? Um, it, it is not. Anyone can come and compete with Anchorage. And if you can build better technology, and if you can go back and implement every single asset and be able to get a regulated institution, get insurance, and all those different things, then you're a legitimate competitor and nothing is stopping you from doing that. So I think that is actually the 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 narrative should be that. Is that what we want? We want the ability of doing it, but we do not want funds and institutions to do self-custody because we, we've all seen how that ends. Yeah, no, we, we definitely have. And I mean, there hasn't been any, you know, insane hacks, obviously, since Mount Gox, which was just terrible, but it was just so long ago. And, you know, on your point there, Diogo, do you think that traditional custodians are going to enter into crypto or do you think get you know acquire crypto custodians i'm just wondering you know when the relationship goes two ways there i think it's really hard for very traditional custodians and kind of like the 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 large um, custodians in the space to really build this technology on their own and so if i had to guess i would um i would bet a lot more on strategic acquisitions and partnerships and I mean, with with some uh, obviously insight into that, uh, the partnerships angle is definitely one that is uh, that is a lot on my mind, and that um, that we're actually thinking about uh, and actively engaging with some of them with, and so that definitely seems to be the path forward, and that's for for two reasons. Obviously, the first one is as I mentioned, it's really hard to have this talent build this technology, and the second one is from a risk appetite perspective and from just um, a business perspective, a custodian like Anchorage is an institutional custodian that. The sole focus is crypto asset custody. That's it for institutions. We don't have a retail business. We're not running an exchange. We're not doing anything else. We're just doing this one thing. So that specialization allows us to just be really good at what we do in a way that is very hard to catch up to, especially if you're running multiple businesses, especially if you have risk appetite and crypto somehow puts you in the crosshairs of some other business line that you have. So all of those things are things that you have to realize that there are conflicts if you are a massive custodian and that you have zero conflicts if you're just Anchorage and you're trying to do one thing very well. Yeah, the the specialization makes a lot of sense here. And just building on that, I mean, if there's a major traditional custodian, like let's say Bank of New York Mellon, which is you know manages trillions in assets, let's say you guys were to partner with one of them, just hypothetically, how much does that lower the barriers to get traditional money into crypto? Like, is this a major you know hurdle that's taken down now that you know crypto custodian Anchorage is working with traditional custodian, or do you think it's more of like a PR integration thing? I'm I'm just wondering like if this could be a backdoor to get you know potentially billions of dollars into the space. I think there would definitely be a boost in confidence by having known brands for very traditional institutions that have not really dipped their toes in uh, in the crypto water and that have not actually had any investments. Uh, done that there's someone that are already engaging with that could help them shepherd them through the process instead of right now they effectively have to go to crypto specific companies by and large and kind of like do their own due diligence so it would potentially be a good you know a, a good view in terms of investments uh, investors that are more traditional that would see it as, as a partner that is in the space well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it would make a very significant difference I, I think brands like Anchorage are already there and um, the validation that we've had from clients 
like um, A16Z Crypto using us, Polychain using us, Paradigm using us. Some of these uh, very large funds that are very good at what they do and they're you know the tastemakers in the space that actually counts for a lot. And uh, we see a lot of these institutions saying, "Hey, these are the experts in the area. If they're using this custodian and using Anchorage, then we also want to use Anchorage." So there's always these proxy measures for um, for institutionalization or for competence that these funds use. And in fact, the funds ask ask to see insurance, ask to see a regulated entity, and by and large, that is sufficient. It would definitely help, but I'm not sure if it would be a game changer. Okay, gotcha. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, the top funds you mentioned, I mean, those are the funds that really know, you know, on a technical basis, how to get involved with network governance and staking and validation, you know, even when it's very hard to do without the gorgeous, you know, UXs, and they're still decided to go with you guys. That's exactly right. It's um, it's it's a huge validation of technology. It's a huge validation of the product that our team built, and I'm really excited to have uh, these folks as clients and uh, continue building an amazing product for them. No, that's awesome. Yeah, no, definitely interested in that. And Diogo, last question for you. I promise the and this is a good problem to have. I'm, I'm a little jealous of this dynamic, but what exactly do you see as as one growth bucket for you that's the strongest? Like, do you think it's increase in the total asset size of the space, like crypto goes to a trillion dollars and you guys maintain your percent custody? Or do you think it's an increasing percent custody of the market versus your competitors? Like, I'm just wondering, you know, if you're focusing more on one or the other to to grow the business here. I think the thing that grows the business the most is uh, clearly crypto as, as a whole growing. Uh, two effectively driving forces there that we're seeing, and if any of them accelerates, also accelerates the growth of Anchorage. One is the institutionalization of the space. As you know, it's a space that was largely retail-driven, and there's been a constant increase in the percentage of assets and crypto assets that are held by institutions. And so a jump in that or an increase of acceleration on that one will obviously increase meaningfully the business for Anchorage. And on the other side, it is new networks like Telegram, you know, $1.7 billion raised, probably a lot worth a lot more now on the open market. And those are going to overnight potentially going to add 10 plus billion dollars of market cap to crypto. And they're very sophisticated assets. They're assets that require staking. They're hard to custody and Anchorage is uniquely qualified to actually do custody of them. So those things are also very meaningful for us. Assets that are coming out like that. And you're going to have Filecoin. You're obviously going to have Libra. Anchorage is a custodian for all these assets and all of these things just meaningfully increase the market cap for Anchorage and increase excitement around crypto and really have this flywheel effect of normalizing crypto and making crypto a day-to-day thing for potentially hundreds of millions of users, which will obviously increase the market cap of crypto overall, which will drive a lot of business. That's incredible. And closing out, Diogo, do you think that in the future, Anchorage will be custodying hundreds of billions or potentially trillions in assets? I mean, I'm sure you wouldn't be here if you didn't think so. Uh, we definitely believe so, and that's that's how we've built the security of our system was for the trillion dollars, uh, not for millions of dollars. That's incredible. So, Diogo, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people follow you or learn more about Anchorage? People want to know more about Anchorage. You can go to Anchorage.com, and if you want to follow me, I think Twitter might be the best one at Diogo Monica. Awesome, Diogo. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the episode. If you can go to iTunes and hit subscribe to the Chain Reaction Podcast, it'll go a long way in helping us reach new listeners and help support the show. Thanks again.